Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, January 25th, day 111 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel-Dan here in our Jerusalem office with editor David Horvitz. Hi, David, and happy to be shvat. Hi, Amanda. We will discuss how the terrible death of 21 soldiers this week brought to light an essential tactic in staving off another October 7th massacre. All this and more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. On Monday, Israeli media started reporting on fierce battles in Gaza, and that, to many media consumers, is code for something really terrible is about to be announced. And all of us here in Israel lived in suspense until Tuesday morning when we indeed heard about the deaths of the 21 soldiers. David, shed light on how that is to experience that suspense. Well... What you said is exactly right, and I think many people think that they are being told things in code, and it's often the case. Um, so when you do hear heavy fighting, fierce fighting, words like that, um, it is often the fact that um, we know more than we are able to report. And one of the reasons for that, or the reason for that, is this necessary process where if soldiers fall in battle, um, the army needs to tell their families before it announces this to the public. Um, and sometimes, uh, especially if there are multiple losses, this takes a while. Uh, they have to find the families, they have to inform the families, they do it as sensitively as they possibly can. Uh, this knock on the door, uh, after which life is never the same. And um, because this is a small country and because we're in a war, um, which is being fought to a considerable extent by reservists. Um, and simply because of the scale, the number of soldiers who are involved and so on, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows something when something terrible has happened. And therefore, when something terrible happens, it's not really rumors, it's information begins to spread. And everybody knows the sort of the routine and knows why it's not being announced on the news in all of its um, specific detail. So you have hours, as was the case from Monday to Tuesday, many hours, um, where increasingly large parts of the public know exactly um, or know something of what has happened. And you wait and you wait to hear if what you think you know 
is accurate and uh, and then the, the specifics come out and the names come out and the pictures are released and it's this terrible process and a kind of you know I, I wrote about this yesterday a kind of pal um, descends on the nation and I don't it's kind of immaterial if the waiting is worse than than the confirmation the whole process is terrible and it's 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 what happens in in a war I've talked about this before about this idea of ripples of grief because obviously the family the inner when the stone is thrown inside the water the family sinks and they know immediately or as soon as possible about it but the ripple effect just continues on and on and in fact in this 21 casualty list a woman who works with my husband her brother fell then but in almost every list that's above three or four people we know people who know people and that's just the nature of living in israel right now look the worst of those numerically of course is october the 7th and there's not an israeli who was not personally impacted by this to some degree or another some you know however many degrees of separation it is so many people were killed um, so many people are still held hostage, and now we have, you know, more than 200 soldiers have been killed since October the 7th inside Gaza. Um, so this is this has been 111 days of varying degrees of national grief. The, the 21 killed in one incident um, in, in seconds, um, it was the worst single incident of the Israeli fighting in Gaza you know, I don't even want to say so far, because please God, period. Um, and therefore, you know, on the when you look at it comparatively compared to the 1200 of October the 7th, um, you know, uh, uh, it, it's minor. And yet, of course, it's colossal and tragic and disastrous. And it underlines a point that I think we've made all through the 111 days, which is that Israel is not going to be the same again. Uh, after October the 7th. It isn't the same. It will never recover from that incident, from the the incredible viciousness that was displayed, the exultant monstrosity of, of that incident, and the, the her unthinkable, unconscionable, unfathomable failure to prevent it. And by the way, the lack of coherent response in those first few hours and so on. We, we are... You know, Israel, please God, will recover, but it won't recover from that incident. It, it is not the same Israel. And we're still in the midst of this war. We are not out of the woods yet. We don't know what's going to happen in the north. Um, you know, at the risk of repeating something, the assessment is that Hezbollah does not want Beirut to be reduced to the, to the widespread devastation of Gaza City. But who can trust assessments anymore, right? We, we can't as assume anything. We can't take anything for granted. Um, and the Gaza fighting is very heavy. Um, half of the territory is, broadly speaking, controlled by Israel. I don't know if the area where the 21 soldiers was, were killed was, was believed to be broadly controlled by Israel. I suspect that it was. Uh, I think the troops were operating. It's sort of central southern Gaza, you know, it's 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 certainly not an area where Israel would say there is no danger, but manifestly there was immense danger. So this is, we're, you know, like I say, n no nobody should delude themselves that this period is somehow coming to an end. Uh, please God, the worst is behind us, but there's no guarantees. 
I think what you just said really bears repeating because in so many articles I'm reading outside of the Times of Israel or a podcast I'm listening to, many, many people are talking about the slowdown in the fighting or that the the fighting is shifting into a lower gear. But it appears to me that, in fact, there are lessons learned from the beginning of the fighting. And so there are different tactics being pursued. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the fighting is any less fierce to use that terrible word. Would you agree with that? I think it's very complicated what's going on in Gaza. Um, the, the one barometer, and I've said this before, is you know keep an eye on our reporting in terms of battalions that are no longer uh, effective, Hamas battalions that are no longer effective. So in northern Gaza, as far as we know, and nobody knows it, everything, nobody knows anything utterly definitive. I don't think the army would, would, would de- deny that. But in northern Gaza, the, the maybe the half the Hamas army, the 12 of the 24 battalions, we are told are essentially not functioning. Does that mean that there are, Hamas, there are no Hamas gunmen in northern Gaza? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Uh, in the center, there's progress, even in Khan Yunis. And this is a very much more complicated area to fight, including because the, the further south the army goes, the more dense the population, because the army implored non-combatants to flee south. So now it's fighting in a... In a Gaza that is always densely populated in even more densely populated southern Gaza. In Khan Yunus, we are told that two of the four Hamas battalions are being tackled and are um, not as functional as they were. Uh, that's one barometer. But it's an incredibly complicated battle, especially maybe especially now, maybe it was complicated uh, to this degree from the start. The, I, the IDF, as far as I know, doesn't know really what it's supposed to be doing in Rafiach, in Rafah, at the southern um, foot of the strip, and has really not tackled um, that area um, with, with significant focus, among other reasons, because it's right close to the Gaza-Egypt border, and the army needs the political echelon to tell it what it's supposed to be achieving in Rafah. Is it supposed to be retaking, essentially, the Gaza Um, Egypt border, which runs for about nine miles all the way um, uh, across that border is something it's it's known as the Philadelphia uh, corridor, the Philadelphia route and so on. Um, The army taking that, uh, taking control of that would require either um, friction to be understated with Egypt or coordination with Egypt. That requires some kind of political guideline that requires some kind of political coordination with Egypt. I don't know um, that that is taking place. We've seen reports last night, actually, that uh, Netanyahu wanted to speak to Egypt's president, Sisi, who refused to take the call. I don't know that that's true. That has been reported. Uh, it is fairly widely believed that the two do not have a particularly good relationship. Egypt is very wary about Gazans being somehow um, crossing into Egypt, being pushed into Egypt. Part of that worry stems from uh, comments made by um, leading Israeli figures, including ministers, denied uh, by the government as a whole that there's some kind of goal of, of pushing Gazans into Egypt. But it's really complicated, and it has a direct impact right now on the conduct of the war. So it's a very complicated battlefield, and you, you, you're you right. You know, you do have these completely contradictory um, reports and senses where much of the world seems to think that sooner or later, but probably sooner, this war is going to end. And the Israeli military does not say that. And maybe one last last thing in this, it, it's, pre, it's, it's patently taking longer 
to do certain things than the army had believed. Because we know that the defense minister, for example, spoke publicly about a goal of bringing uh, residents certainly in the four to seven kilometer band, right? I'm not good on miles, but let's say around three to five miles from Gaza, right? The idea was that they would start to come back at the beginning of January. Now, some people uh, did move back, but mo that most of the local council chiefs have sort of told Israel's political leadership, you know, mo people are not comfortable going back. Uh, and they certainly weren't until a few days ago because of shelling and rocket attacks and so on. Um, rocket attacks have, have uh, dwindled uh, as the army has progressed south. There is progress, but it's not as fast as the army believed. The army is talking about war through 2024. We'll go to a short break. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. One of the results of learning about the tragic death of 21 soldiers this week was hearing about why they were, in fact, where they were. And they were essentially part of a, a troop that was trying to flatten or at least disable buildings in order to create a buffer zone. And that's something that in Gaza is not necessarily discussed, obviously, in the border the north in Lebanon that's one of the the sticking points right now that we're trying to bring Hezbollah after the Litani River which is the buffer zone so it sounds like the IDF is employing this tactic in Gaza what do you know about this David well first of all let's mention Lebanon briefly when um, the 2006 war ended it ended with a UN resolution resolution 1701 which uh, provided for Hezbollah to not have forces south of the Litani um, and that was not implemented or um, may have been partially implemented at the beginning, but gradually Hezbollah came back and is right up against the border. And Israel has said after October the 7th, things that we thought we could live with, we can't anymore. And one way or another, Hezbollah has to move back and Hezbollah has not moved back. And therefore the potential for escalation on the northern border is there. So that's not a, that's not a buffer zone in the uh, in 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 the nature of what was a, we had a security zone in southern Lebanon after the first Lebanon war, which we maintained until 2000 when Israel pulled back to the border. That was an area where Israel had military forces, our own forces, and uh, a, a proxy uh, helping us, the South Lebanon Army, and tried to keep northern border, northern Israel protected by having a buffer zone. That's not what Israel is is is. I don't think anticipating in southern Lebanon. It is looking to have Hezbollah move back. Who would fill the vacuum and police that? Why would it be different next time around? I don't know. In Gaza, 
what what was the case was that Israel had basically it had built its inadequate border fortifications some 300 meters 300 yards inside Israel so the actual international border uh, is in place X and there was this 300 meter meter band I mean not it wasn't equal all the way around the border but there was a 300 yard 300 meter band inside Israel uh, which was a kind of buffer and was meant to give a little bit of breathing space there. I stress again, it's it's it wasn't 300 yards, I know, because you can see how close uh, things were uh, everywhere, but that was the goal. What's happening now is something much more dramatic, okay? What's happening now, and and the incident on on Monday underlines this, is that Israel is, is essentially moving at some pace, it would seem, to build or create... A, a kilometer deep, um, five-eighths of a mile deep, not the same width everywhere, but broadly speaking, area inside Gaza where there can be no threat. In other words, no buildings, nobody entering. That's our understanding of, of what the plan is. This will be a zone that is that is meant to be a kind of no man's land inside Gaza. And, you know, we've seen figures there. I don't think the army has confirmed the figures of something in excess of 2,000 buildings all the way around Gaza that the IDF has decided it will be demolishing, many of which, hundreds of which, maybe even slightly more than a 1,000 of which have been demolished. The international community is not happy about this. Um, I'm not sure quite how bad the friction is going to become, but all all the spotlight has begun to shine on it in the wake of this incident because these were reservists who were preparing to demolish two buildings and had planted explosives and uh, a Hamas attack um, missile fire or rocket fire, two rockets as far as we know, set off those explosives and that and 21 soldiers were killed in one of the buildings that they were demolishing. Um, just to, to underline why the IDF and Israel see that imperative, okay, these soldiers were killed 600 meters from Kibbutz Kisufim as the crow flies, 600 yards away from one of the border kibbutzim that was attacked by Hamas on October the 7th, where many people were killed, where people were taken hostage. You know, as they were just, they were right near Israel. And we're 111 days after October the 7th now, and Hamas people were still able to pop up inside Gaza and, and kill soldiers. So you would say that that would underline the imperative for greater breathing space, vision, and so on. Uh, the army would say, first of all, this buffer zone, this planned buffer zone means that they will be able to see things coming, that they will be able to ensure that there are no tunnel exits in that area, that all the mistakes prior to October the 7th, or at least some of them, can be um, uh, addressed or prevented uh, through this, that it will bring greater security to people coming back to Israel on the other side of the border and so on. These are some of the uh, um, motivations for this, but it has it has been underway and had not really been publicized until this incident shone the light on it. So doesn't this make you think or at least hope that there are other plans of this nature that we're just not privy to, that we keep talking about how there's no plan, no plan, and we don't know about any kind of tactics for X or for Y. But don't you think that it's possible that perhaps the government isn't speaking, the army isn't speaking, because they don't want people to publicize it to the enemy? Look, you'd like to think that um, the military process of this war and the political stewarding of this war is smarter than we are given to understand. You'd like to think that there are good 
brains at work and all kinds of thing going on, things going on behind the scenes that are more impressive than some of the things we know. Now, some of the things we can see are impressive. People, I, I, I think, including ministers in the Israeli government, certainly much of the international community, I think people underestimate or want to underestimate how pernicious Hamas is as an enemy. This is an army. Okay, we, we call it a terror group and then we call it the government of Gaza. I try to write, you know, it's a terrorist government, it's a terrorist army, 30,000 trained people, 24 battalions with commanders and hierarchies and areas. And I tend to think, although I've often been told the opposite, interconnections between their under, underworld areas and that it's not as difficult as some people have told me for them to move from area to area, etc. But the army is making incredible progress against Hamas. And the fact that we are rightly consumed by the death of 21 people, reservists, by the way, half of them 30 and over, right? Uh, family uh, men in, in many, many cases, um, should not obscure the fact that relatively speaking and boy do i not wish to sound callous the the expectation was that the losses would be much worse on the israeli side you're fighting ruthless amoral in some cases potentially you know death culty uh, um, gunmen who are trying to kill as many of us as possible as many soldiers in gaza as possible who've spent 15, 16 years gearing up for the day when the Israeli army comes. That's what they wanted to happen. I'm not so sure they want this to happen in retrospect, right? Which shows how well and how resilient and determined the army has been. And yet we would indeed like to believe that there's even smarter stuff going on. And we know how ad hoc this was, right? We know there was no up-to-date plan for a, a recapture or a retaking of Gaza in circumstances such as these that required it they did this on the on the on the hoof you know ad hoc they made a decision uh, for the army to tackle northern gaza first this was not the result of months never mind years of strategic planning no this was a decision put together in days a ground operation that launched people wondered why haven't you started the ground because there was no plan and then there had been no training for it but these were tactical decisions made in a, a time of absolute crisis. So yes, Amanda, let's hope they know exactly what they're doing in Khan Yunis and those who thought that this was not going to be possible. Well, it's going to turn out in, you know, the, I wrote this yesterday, there are people who believe the army within a fairly short time will say it has what is called operational control in Khan Yunis. I don't think people anticipated that that would be the case in the near future because it's so complicated. We shall see. If that is the case, and if the, if the IDF genuinely does have some kind of overall military control in Khan Yunus fairly quickly, that would go down as, as better than expected and as the conquering of obstacles that was seen to be very serious. And the same certainly applies at Rafah, where the army has not given any, any indication that it, it knows what it is expected to do and is, is capable of doing it. So presumably, or one again comes back to your question, we would like to believe that there's a lot more moving and it's a lot smarter in some areas than we have yet been told. Time will tell. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any comments or questions about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, Shalom. Shalom.